I'd like to title uh, what I'm going to be sharing today, Earthquake. And I don't know about you, but sort of towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year, it just seems like there is a freshness in the air, there is something new afoot. Uh, in, the, in the context of this church, we've had a number of the gray-haired old oaks of righteousness in the church um, moving to retirement, some of them sitting on their properties for three years, and all of a sudden, it's almost like somebody rang a bell and all of a sudden, the season is changing and we are losing some incredible people in our community um, that have really served and been really fruitful in, in this community for years and years. But, you know, the Lord builds His church. He does what He does. And so, with the, with the changing of the God, as it were, in a sense, there is an opportunity for new things and new growth to start taking place. And so, in the beginning of the year... I remember Vida started off the year with um, Isaiah 60. And Isaiah 60 is almost like a, a wonderful mandate for us as a church. Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And almost in what she brought, it was almost a, a commissioning, almost the glory of the Lord is now going to shine upon us and we are to rise up in all the splendor of everything that Jesus has done for us on the cross and to reveal His glory. And then about two weeks later, Kirst came and she shared on the subsequent chapter, Isaiah 61. And this is a chapter that, was, that Jesus referenced in the synagogue. And he basically says, in Isaiah 61, he says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news and to set captives free. I'm paraphrasing, but... It's almost like things are starting to change. We've just been through two years, which in my lifetime has been the most disruptive, the most, um, uh, there's been the most upheaval in these, these past two years, obviously with, with the introduction of COVID and how governments sort of battle with how to treat this, how to, what is the best for the people? Is it lockdown? Is it... Um, is it letting things go? And you've got this balance between the economy and people dying. And, but more than that, there's almost been a shaking, almost in everything that we can imagine. I mean, it's, it's changed the way that school is done. It's changed the way that we greet each other. This morning, <laughs> you know, previously, as a church, we were a very huggy, sort of huggy church, you know. And, um, but this morning, you're not sure if you are bumping elbows, if you're bumping fists, if you're staying away, if you're hugging and it's almost challenged even the very intimacy of how we connect with each other. It's, it's changed the way business is done. Uh, I, read a, I read a stat that the banks in America at the moment, up to 70% of their staff now work from home. And it might just be for a season, but you know, things like video conferencing have been around for, Skype has been around for, I think, at least eight years. But I remember at the beginning of, um, of COVID and the lockdown, I was, I was having a chat to my brother who is in IT in the UK, and he said he heard that there are two things that you need in order to change a culture. One is necessity, and the other one is urgency. And during this two years, we've almost seen almost things that would have taken years and years and years to take forward just move forward so quickly. A company like Zoom in 2019, had a market capitalization of $18 billion. Uh, Zoom, I don't know if you know anything about Zoom, but Zoom is a, a video conferencing tool um, comparable with Skype. Google's got one. Apple's got one. 
But at the beginning of lockdown, this Zoom share price rocketed ninefold in a year. And today, Zoom is established almost like the, the icon of video conferencing. We, we, we seldom say we're going to Skype anymore. We say, let's, let's do a Zoom. And it's almost become, this thing has become so firmly entrenched in our language and in business in a period of a year, a year and a half, this transition has taken place. And so following on, uh, on the two words that came through the beginning of the year, just about the new thing that the Lord is doing, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, um, if I could just read that. So I don't have my glasses, but um, we'll do what we can. And so Joshua is basically preparing the children of Israel to cross the Jordan and enter into their promised land. And just to understand, Joshua is a novice. He, in comparison to Moses, he's not a novice totally, but he must have been standing in awe of the things that God did through Moses, the parting of the Red Sea, the feeding and sustaining of people in the wilderness for 40 years, and a couple of others. And here, the Lord has charged him, said to him that you will do this thing that Moses could not, would not do or wasn't allowed to do. <laughs> Thanks. But um, it says in, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, and that yet there shall be a space. He's talking about when they cross over the Jordan, the ark and the priest will move before them. And it says, yet there shall be a space between you and it of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that they may know the way by which that they may know the way that, that by which you must go and that you have passed this you've never passed this way before and then after that he says you must sanctify yourself in the lord because you've never been this way before and i think it's such a wonderful picture of the new season that the lord is taking us into almost as if the lord is now calling us not to follow the well trodden path the way that we have done things before this morning nick lamb gave a wonderful testimony of how for a month and a half he had advertised his rental property. I didn't know about this until this morning, but he advertised his rental property on private property for a month and a half, and he got nothing. And that's the, that's the logical way of advertising your property. Go into private property or go into a website, put your property out there, and then wait for the tenants to come in. But yet it came through a totally different way. And not just was it a good tenant, but it's also, it looks like it's becoming a friend. They're being invited to a wedding. And I, and I would like to put it to you that the new way, so Josh is referring here, allow the ark to lead the way because you don't know the way. We've never been on this way before. And I, I really believe that this new season is going to be characterized by the Holy Spirit leading us on new ways, not the well-trodden path, not the path that we are used to, not the thing that used to work so well for 10 years, not the normal conventional wisdom, but I believe he's calling us to think out of the box. He's calling us to live out of absolute trust. So in this picture, the, 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 the Levites would carry the, the ark, which symbolizes the presence of God. Now, we obviously know with Jesus coming, the presence is no longer out there. The presence is now inside here. And so now, the Holy Spirit, wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can speak to us and say, go here and go here. And I really think it's a challenge for us. If we are to arise and shine in this new season and show the glory of God, we need to be led by the Spirit more so than ever before. I'm not for once for one moment suggesting that we weren't led by the Spirit, but I believe there's a transition 
where we almost have to trust, like Nick Lamb, something just came out of left field. He couldn't have predicted it. He didn't anticipate it. It just happened because the Lord opened that door. So a couple, uh, about a month ago, we watched a movie called San Andreas. I don't know if you guys have watched it. Um, it's a movie basically about a big earthquake that happens on the San Andreas Fault. Typical Hollywood movie, fantastic and phenomenal special effects, a little bit thin on the storyline. But it drew me to just go and... I'm not, a, I'm not a, a student in detail. I like headlines, but I do read quite a lot of headlines, so I like the headlines. And I went into um, just the San Andreas Fault, and the San Andreas Fault actually is a, is a, uh, it's a fault line where there are two tectonic plates or two portions of the Earth's, Earth's crust that are slowly moving past each other at a rate of around about 30 millimeters a year. So they, they call that the slip rate. And that fault line actually extends all the way down past South America, Chile, Peru. And what happens is every year these two crusts move in relation, in relation to each other, 30, about 30 mils. And as a result, there is a, 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 a large earthquake sort of every 40 to 50 years because over 40 and 50 years, with these two plates passing each other, there is tension buildup in this fault line of about 1.2 to 1.5 meters. So that when this immense energy is released, these plates shift in relation to each other by up to one and a half meters. And you know, the thing is, if, if these plates were totally smooth, let's just say, for instance, there was grease in between, then there would never be an earthquake because there was no friction and it would just gently slide. Every year it would move its 30 millimeters or its 40 millimeters and, um, and adjust, but it doesn't because there is friction. And um, so I remember a couple of years ago, not a couple of years ago, about two years ago, I listened to a preach by a guy by the name of Chris Valentin. Some of you might know him. And he was speaking about epoch moments. And the dictionary definition of an epoch moment is the definitive start of a new season, a definitive start of a new era, something significant happens on that moment. And he went on um, to explain that often what happens in these epoch moments is, uh, you might have heard it say, somebody say that the Lord takes a long time to do something suddenly. And the parallel that he was drawing is he was saying that, you know, in these epoch moments, suddenly there's a transition that happens so quickly you would never have expected it because it happened so quickly and that nothing that went before would have made you believe that this was possible. And the Bible is full of epoch moments. Um, I think the most important one for all of us is, so depending on your theology, the earth is either thousands or millions of years old. And, but the earth needed to be aligned. And at the birth of Jesus... In the space of 33 years, and in the context of everything before that, it is but a second or a, a brief moment. And so in those 33 years, he undid everything that was wrong before. He made a way for you and I to come before him. There's no distance. There's no arc. It's not God's presence outside, but it's God's presence inside. And so in that moment, 33 years, but he had three years of ministry and three days and in three days after the cross, everything was won back. So even on a, on a personal, uh, on an individual level, there are a couple of stories of epoch moments. There's, there's Joseph at the age of 16 who is sold into slavery. 
And for the next, and this notwithstanding that he received a dream from God that the sun and the moon and the stars would bow down to him, down to him. But for the next 14 years, he is falsely accused, he is sold into slavery, he is um, put in jail. But slowly but surely, these plates are moving because you know the word of the Lord is constant. In Matthew 18, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, not one jot or tittle, not the most insignificant thing about God's law will be undone. Everything will be fulfilled. And at that time, he was referring to the law of Moses, the very strict this, that, do this, don't do this. But in the New Testament context, we have the law of God written on our hearts. And in the New Testament context, I believe this is every promise that he has made. Everything that he has spoken to you about your future, everything that he has spoken to this church about its future, everything that he has spoken about the universal bride, everything will be done. Because as consistent as these plates are that move in relation to each other, so is God's word. And yes, there might be some friction at times when it takes a little bit, little bit longer and it doesn't look like anything's happening. You know, it's been 50 years since the last big earthquake in, in Los Angeles. And I'm sure many of the people think, well, you know, it's fine. Everything is great. But unfortunately, these, these plates move. And in your life and in my life, these plates are consistently moving. And so I believe that this is a season that we need to prepare ourselves and get ready for the suddenly of God. To get ready for Him to suddenly align. There is massive release of power as soon as there is that, the, the earthquake. But suddenly, those two plates are in alignment with one another once more. And this is the tension that we often walk through as, as, as believers, as those that, that have him in our hearts, is that sometimes it looks like there's a delay. Why is it taking 40 or 50 years? So for Joseph, why did it take 14 years? For Abraham, it was 25 years after he, um, he was told that he would have a son and that he would have as, as many descendants as the stars in the sky. 25 years later, that dream was, was fulfilled. In the life of David, a 16-year-old boy, a shepherd boy, Diligently looking after children, is anointed as king, as the next king of Israel. He then has a massive victory, slaying Goliath, and he is the toast of Israel. But what happens then next? Fourteen years, an unrighteous king tries to kill him. But again, as was the case of Joseph, as soon as, as soon everything was moving, the promise was true, the dream was true, and it would happen as sure, as sure, as sure, because our Lord is faithful. And so, overnight, Joseph was moved from prison to the right hand of the most powerful man in the world at the time. So, I also, I, I love revivals. Um, in, in the modern context, modern era, I suppose the most um, important revival is Azusa Street, which incidentally is in Los Angeles, also on this fault. And again, if I look at history just since then, and depends, it depends on what your definition of a revival is. You know, your definition of a revival could be a lot of people coming to the kingdom and giving their lives to Jesus, or it could be some have called it an awakening where there's a spiritual awakening, or it could be categorized by signs and wonders, much like Azusa Street was. Azusa Street had all of these three things. But then if I look through the 19th century, the next big revival that I can find after Azusa Street is around about 1970, which is the Jesus People Revival. So that's 52 years ago. So hashtag just saying something's coming. 
So um, I remember, I don't know if it was when Vida, was, Vida preached the first service or the second service, but afterwards I was busy praying for somebody. And in my spirit, I just told her, I heard a shofar. I just heard this trumpet from heaven just ringing out over this person. And last Sunday again, I heard it. And I went to Google, as we all do when we don't know what, what, to, what to look for. And the shofar was a horn in Jewish, Jewish culture that was used to signify an epoch. It was used to signify a change of season, that something new is coming. Like the shofar was blown before the day of Passover to indicate that Passover was now coming. That this is now a time for the people to draw close to God and see God be strong on their behalf. And I believe that this, the shofar is blowing. The shofar is blowing over everybody's life here. The shofar is blowing over the church. There's a new season. There's a new. What previously was difficult and what previously took a long time is going to happen like this. Because the season has changed. There is a release of power that is going to... And you know, in the context of, of um, revivals, we are all waiting for that great end-time revival where Joel says that he'll pour out his, his spirit on all flesh. And there will be dreams and there will be prophecy, prophecies. And there will just be this un, unbridled release of the kingdom. And you know, for me... I know that we are living in revival. We are living. The Holy Spirit is here. We sense Him in the worship. It was so, so tangible almost. But I want to see acts. I want to see limbs grow. I want to see people getting up from the dead. I want to see those things. And that is your inheritance and my inheritance. I want to see people come into the kingdom. You know, the Bible says that the fields are white and to harvest. And to be honest, my experience has been, yes, there are many, many, unbelievers out there that, that if they had just known Jesus, life would be so much different for them. But it has been quite difficult. I've been through EE3. I know all the arguments. I can tell you, I can ask you, you know, if you had to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? But I really believe that by the Spirit, like in Nick's example, there is a so much easier way where, where people are so desperate for God. Because, you know, the season that we've been through has been a season of up, upheaval. And as much as COVID has, has wreaked havoc, I think fear has increased across the earth. You know, when we went lockdown, you know, we'd be contemplating things like, well, we, first of all, we can't move outside of our house. That's three months. We're not allowed to move. We're restricted. We, we, we can't travel. We can't even, even going to the shop is a bit of a push, you know. And during that time, you know, if you coop people up and you restrict their, 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 their movements, you know, you start thinking about, but how's the world going to change? Is my job going to be safe? Um, what's the world going to look like? Is this going to be like this forever? And then all this creates fear. So getting back to, um, to, to Israel, there Joshua is at the beginning, at, in, front of the, in front of the Jordan. And in chapter 1, the Lord says to, says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. And you know, courage is not the absence of fear. In fact, courage can only be shown to be courage in the presence of fear. And so courage is almost the ability to master fear, not to allow fear to dictate. And 
as Vida shared this morning, she, uh, the script, one scripture that she shared was, perfect love drives out all fear. It's not about you and me getting together and saying, okay, we're going to do this thing, and I, you know, I'm terrified, but let's do it. But actually, the ark is now inside of us, and we walk with the ark. We walk with the presence. And it's that, as he perfects that love inside of us, we immediately start finding a different well to drink from. Not this well of fear, of insecurity, of what's going to happen tomorrow, but we can drink from this well that the plates are moving and that the Lord is true to his word and everything that he says he will do. And so if there's a delay, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen because it is true. So I would like to just end off with a story about um, a story of Horton the Elephant. Now, for those of you that are parents, you'll be well, well versed in the books of Dr. Zeus. And I, I love Horton because Horton is a big clumsy elephant. He's innocent. He's gullible. Um, but he's faithful. And so the story of Horton and Maisie the lazy bird. So Maisie is a bird who finally lays an egg. And, but she's got bigger aspirations than sitting on an egg. You know, she wants to go to Palm Beach and Kathmandu. And Horton, perchance, is walking past. And she says to him, but Horton, wouldn't you, um, wouldn't you mind just sitting on this egg for a little while? Um, because there's some more important things that I have to do. And uh, Horton, as he is in his very gentle, gentle nature, he says, no, okay, fine, I'll sit. And so there's this elephant sitting on an egg on the top of a tree. And historical records are a little bit sketchy about how long Horton actually sat on, on this egg. But from my understanding, it's at least four seasons. So he was there for at least a year. There was wind and there was snow and there were hunters that came to look for him. But you know, Horton sat on this egg because an elephant is faithful 100%. And he says this over and over again. He just sits on this egg. He just sits on this egg. No matter what happens, he sits on this egg. Much like I think many people in here this morning, you've been sitting on an egg. The Lord has given you a word. The Lord has given you a promise. Elaine, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed to see um, your book being published. Not because I'm on the cover, but... Um, <laughs> But I believe it's like you've been sitting on this egg for a long time. I think many people across here, if I had to speak to you, you've been sitting on this egg for a long time and you've been faithful and you haven't given up. And yes, maybe it has been difficult. Maybe there have been times where we get weary and where we get despondent and we think, well, is this ever going to happen? But Horton was faithful 100%. And he sat on this egg and he sat on this egg. And finally, one day, the egg cracked. And out of the egg did not come a bird but came, I suppose, a supernatural being called an ellibird. Well, I call it an ellibird. It's half elephant, half bird. Something that the world had never seen before. And you know, the Holy Spirit partners with us. He labors with us to bring the kingdom into the earth. If you look at how he partnered with Mary, he came to the angel, appeared to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And she said, as you have said, so be it to me. Now, we're not going to give birth to Jesus. That's, that, that one's done. But the, the promises that God has given to you are going to be supernatural like this Ella bird. 
It's going to be something that is unique to only you because, you know, we are all intricate parts of the same body. And every part of the body has a unique function. And if that unique function or that body part, like my finger, if it doesn't operate well, my body is def deficient. My body doesn't operate the way that it should. And the commission of arise and shine for your light has come is a commission to every single one of us to keep on sitting on that egg, whatever that egg is, because he wants to bring something into the earth through you and me. And so just to close off, I want to just reference the scripture, Isaiah 49 verse 2. In fact, I'm just going to share it. So in essence, Isaiah 49 verse 2 is... Is, a, is where the, the prophet is saying, you have sharpened me like a knife. I'm an arrow in your quiver, ready to be shot out. And the process of making the arrow and sharpening the arrow is sometimes difficult and it's sometimes lengthy. But we are, we are almost charged to be at the ready because the, the arrow is in the quiver right behind the hunter or the warrior right here. And I believe the time is now when the Lord is taking us out as arrows. He's drawing us back and getting ready to hit the mark. I believe that this is the season that we are now entering. And I want to ask that we, that we partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing. You know, when we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, there are so many benefits. In, in Joshua chapter 1, um, Joshua is, is, uh, is told that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. And so you shall make your way straight, and so you shall have good success. Interesting that the Lord doesn't say, I will make your path straight, and I will give you good success. He says, no, if you do these things, if you align yourselves with what I'm doing in the earth, if you align yourself with the wisdom that I'm giving you in the Bible, if you align yourself and allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit, you will make your way straight, and you will have good success. It's a wonderful, a wonderful co-laboring relationship that we have with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it's really exciting because it is the beginning of a new season. And so I would like to ask, can we elevate our faith? Let's not allow the past, the previous two years, to detract. In Hebrews 12, it says, Take those hands and those limbs that hang down limp and bind them up so that what is lame and limp does not get dislocated. It's, it's, it's mentioned in the context of Hebrews 12 is, where, where Paul's, or the writer starts off and says, now that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run this race that is set before us. Because you see, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We're all on this journey of transformation, but more importantly, to bring the kingdom of God into this earth. And so this morning, I just want to ask if there is, if you feel tired, if you feel you know, the season has gotten the better of me or I just need some fresh wind to be blown into, into, my, into my sails. Can I ask that we pray for you? Um, I'm not sure if we... Uh, I mean, if, if, if that's what you want after the service, please come to the front. If you have lost sight of dreams and words that God has given you, can we pray with you so that we take those words off the mantelpiece, dust them off, and that we can put them in front of us? Because he is about to do something exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever wish or hope for. He will blow our expectation because you know the thing is, if I keep on the well-trodden path, I'm just going to keep on getting those results. 
But if I will venture off that well-trodden path and I will go in the direction that the Holy Spirit leads me, I'm going to have birds. I'm going to have things that I've never seen before because His Word is true and the plates are moving.